Okay, good evening everyone. Welcome to our Welcome to our Dhamma broadcast. Tonight I'd like to talk about the Mahavitaka the reflections of a great being that's what it's called the reflections of a great or the great reflection And these great reflections are, and they're, they're described as being reflections that a great being has. But specifically, they're about, well, they're about a specific topic, which is what sort of person, what sort of person is this teaching for? Now when you hear that, it, it makes you think Maybe this teaching isn't for everyone it Makes us think that Makes us wonder And it feeds the doubt that maybe Maybe this isn't right for us Maybe we're not right for the for this practice Maybe this practice wasn't made for me And we hear claims that this meditation is for everyone Or we like to think that the Buddhist teaching is universal So to understand what it means when we say the sort of person that this Dhamma is, that this teaching is for We have to understand what we mean by person Right? A person is not a static entity We're changing all the time Every day we're a different person Right, every hour it seems In the morning I'm energetic In the afternoon I'm tired Maybe I like walking in the morning Maybe I prefer sitting in the evening We change And so that's of course The more, more important question That we often have in our minds is How can we change How should we change What sort of person do I want to become How can I become The sort of person that I want to become And so these um, These reflections are really more like Admonishments Self-admonishments a great being reflects um, Reflects on ways that they can improve And someone, more importantly here I think Is someone who understands this teaching Starts to understand that Well, we really aren't prepared Or we really aren't um, good at, at, at this or 
we can't be any old person, right? Of all the persons that we might be and all the qualities we might develop, there are some requirements that we're going to have to fulfill if we want to succeed. And it's not doesn't mean come here having fulfilled them, it means fulfill them as a part of our practice. So the direction that our practice has to take. So the story goes that Anuruddha was staying in a in a deer park, in oh no, um, blessed one was staying in a deer park. Anuruddha was staying in Jeti. Jeti is a place, I guess, among the Jetis in a bamboo park. And um, what you have to know about Anuruddha, he's, you know the story about the nutty cakes, many of you know, but Anuruddha, um, you might say maybe he was a little bit, well, he was a little bit distracted, I think we can say about Anuruddha. Anuruddha was one of the Buddha's relatives, and he had a brother, Mahanama. And all the Buddha's relatives were becoming monks. And so Mahanama said to Anuruddha, Look, no one from our family has become a monk following the Buddha, has gone and become a student of the Buddha. So one of us should. You know, otherwise, what are they going to say about us? And, An and he said, So Anuruddha, you pick. Uh, you want to be a monk? Go and live with, with the Buddha in the or you want to to stay as a householder, stay in the world, get a job and so on. And Anuruddha says, oh, well, I've heard about how those monks live off in the forest. It sounds quite, um, I don't know if I can do that. I, I think I'll, I'll stay where I am, thank you very much. Right, because he was kind of, uh, well, they say he was royalty. I don't know what that means exactly, but he was well off, apparently. And so Mahanama says, okay, then I'll become a monk, and, and but first got to teach you, because Anuruddha was, was young, he said, i got to teach you how to, how to uh, lead, how to take care of business, right? And so he starts telling him about all the things that he has to do. Well, first you have to plow the field, and then you have to um, plant the, the grain and make sure it all gets in at the right time, and then you have to so on and so on, bring the grain in and thresh it and whatever it is that you do with grain and turn it into flour and take it to market and you have to make sure everyone's working and everyone gets paid and he starts going through all this stuff and Anuruddha says, wait, 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 wait no, no, I'll become a monk, thank you, that's fine and so he goes off and lives, he goes and becomes a monk that's the story of Anuruddha but um he wasn't, he wasn't a bad monk, he was actually a, quite an exceptional monk, but as far as meditation goes, he seems to have gotten distracted with what we call samatha meditation. So he had great thoughts, and this sutta is interesting for in that regard as well. For, for us it's more interesting because of the contents, but the context is also interesting. So Anuruddha comes up with these seven thoughts. He's sitting in meditation like all of us, and he thinks to himself, he said, he says, "Wow, this this dhamma, you know, this dhamma is for one who who has few wishes. 
who has few desires. If you got lots of desires, you're not going to be able to practice this Dhamma. It's not going to work for you. That's the first one. Second, this Dhamma is for one who is content. Someone who is discontent won't be able to practice. Third, this Dhamma is for one who is uh, who is is secluded, not for one who enjoys uh, who enjoys society. Before this is this Dhamma is for one who has strong effort, not for one who is lazy. Five, this Dhamma is for one who has a well-established mindfulness, right? So the mindfulness that we're cultivating here. Not for one who has forgotten themselves, has their mind mindfulness forgotten. Number six, this Dhamma is for one who is well-composed, concentrated or focused. Not for one who is unfocused. And number seven, this Dhamma is for one who is wise. It's not for one who is unwise. And it resonates because it makes you, it's what we realize that this, this is not some simple teaching, you know. This is not what you would normally think of meditation as, okay, something I'll sit down and I'll focus on a candle flame and I'll say fire, fire. I mean, not to not to um, disparage that sort of meditation, but it's kind of stupid. It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of um, no. There's 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 no cultivation or development of of. Um, I mean, it doesn't challenge you in in so many ways. Of course, that me meditation, any kind of meditation, does challenge you. And well, maybe, in fact, all of these qualities, or many of these qualities, are required for any meditation. But you can't just come here. It's not. It's not something you come here and and uh, it just happens to you. It's something that requires you to cult to to change to progress as a being and that's really maybe what's so uh, impressive or, or inspiring about this practice is how much you do change right you leave here and it's it's kind of eerie how um, unsettling how, how different a person you can be a better person I mean happier person more content cleaner you feel so much cleaner and purer in the mind and stronger having cultivated all of these things So the Buddha comes to Anuruddha He hears these, these are seven Buddha comes to Anuruddha and he says Well that's really good Anuruddha I mean that's really true A great being thinks these things These thoughts that you have Are the thoughts of a great being So there's one more And it's really defining For the Buddha's teaching And it's this one which um, allowed Anuruddha to become enlightened 
And so the Buddha says this Dhamma is for one who is um, one who 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 is engaged in well he says delights in but it's just a word one who delights in uh, non-proliferation that's Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation I think I'm at the Pali here Bhikkhu Bodhi says non-proliferation yeah not one who delights in proliferation you might say one who doesn't delight in proliferation may be better I'll explain that, that that's the important one um well, proliferation, I should explain, because it's the, the one that changes everything for him. Proliferation is when you make more of something than it is, right? Um, I'll talk about it in more detail, but it's that one which made him realize that actually, in some ways, all this th these thoughts that he, were having, he was having, um, they're kind of a proliferation in themselves. And he got in trouble on this account more than once uh, for being distracted. But it was this that was the missing link, and this is really what defines uh, insight meditation. You can't be the sort of person who who, um, who lives a complicated or has a complicated philosophy, in the sense of you know things like God and and one who who is engaged in karmic. Uh, activities, right? Or ambition, or um, philosophies, theories about the universe and reality. You know, taking away, taking the mind away from what is real, right? Because all that is real is our senses: seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. And when you get outside that, you get into the realm of concepts, which is infinite. What you see can be infinite, but you know, seeing is 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 always going to be seeing. It's only one and one. It's only one thing and one thing alone. Anyway, so I mean, all eight of these are useful qualities. So it's good for us to think about. And then the Buddha Buddha says this to Anuruddha, and then he goes home, back to where he's staying, and tells talks to the monks about these things explains them. So that's what I'll do. Briefly go over them. It's good for us to think about this. What are the qualities you need to cultivate through the practice? So having few desires. Ideally, the meditation is designed to help us overcome our desires. But what Anuruddha is saying is quite true, that if you're if you're obsessed with your desires, if you need to have this kind of food, or if you need to have this kind of bed, or this kind of clothing, or this kind of... I'm sorry, that's actually the next one. But if you need... Uh, if you have a strong attachment to anything, and the Buddha says actually for this one... Um, one who wants to be, who is proud of themselves and wants people to know them, wants people to like them. One who is ambitious, I think is the point. One who wants to be famous or so on. One who wants to be powerful, wants to be in control. Right? 
I mean, this would be a big thing for monks wanting to be the head monk, wanting to be a teacher, wanting to be um, well esteemed, wanting everyone to to give them food and clothing and so on. But it applies, of course, in lay life even stronger. Our ambitions, wanting to be this, wanting to be that, wanting to be rich, wanting to... All of this gets in the way. All of our desires here. It can take, it can happen in meditation centers. You get attached to the food, get attached to your, to the quiet, and get attached to many different things. Um, the second one regards to being content the Dhamma is for one who is content well this is in regards to things like uh, food and robes and uh, possessions being content with what you have and really being content with the conditions if it's loud, if it's cold, if it's hot uh, If it's ugly, you don't like your room because it's ugly, or you want to go out in nature or something. Yeah. Being content with the present reality, being content. This content, content. Uh, being content means being objective. Being content means seeing things as they are without, right? Saying this is this rather than oh, I wish it was something else. Which is discontent And so if you have this discontent It's um, it's very difficult to become objective The third is Resorting to solitude So a meditator Like Anuruddha realizes That If you're to sit around chatting If you're to Seek out company and It's very difficult to get to this point Where you can see who you are So you can understand yourself Company distracts you It, it attracts you It gets you caught up in concepts It's very hard to talk with other people About ultimate reality You inevitably get caught up in Abstract ideas And Talking about the world and what's going on in the world and so on If you want to understand reality, it's not something that comes from discussion, not easily Ultimately, teachings, even like teachings like this Are just to point you in the right direction And so the Buddha says here, he says For a teacher when uh, when when they when when a when a monk goes off into the forest, if it's a good monk, all the everyone's going to go and see them. Even royalty and all kinds of people are going to go and and ask for teaching from them. And he says, uh, when the monk teaches, they're actually thinking, "What can I say to this person to make them go away?" This is how a monk should teach. It's an interesting thing. You'd think. That's not very nice of the monk But it's interesting in two ways I mean it reminds us that you know, Ultimately we have to look We have to help ourselves If you're not 
benefiting yourself you, know, you don't end up being a good teacher anyway so it's uh, it's improper in that way but also because if you're teaching people so that they come and stay around, stick around with you right how are they when are they going to go and meditate if a meditation teacher is all about keeping them you know in their presence talking to them chatting about even chatting about the dhamma and when do they get to meditate when do they go off and cultivate the teaching i mean i've seen this in practice it's it's actually quite interesting how uh, and it doesn't mean saying get out of my sight right because that doesn't get rid of people that just causes lots of problems it makes them get upset at you it makes them a worse meditator makes them agitated right so you have to teach them but you do whatever you can to make them content it's a very interesting thing to say I mean it's quite hard but it's quite true do whatever you can to satisfy them is actually what he's saying because if you say something and they're not satisfied you say okay yeah do this and that's enough thinking I want this person out of my sight they're just going to say well what do you mean by that and, you know, it's very hard to satisfy a meditator but when you do they're happy and they go away and meditate and the monk can go back and do their meditation as well or the teacher, whoever it is the next one, energetic one has to be energetic I mean, it's, I'm, I'm of course very impressed always impressed to see how energetic the meditators are everyone's putting their effort in it pays off, you know it can seem daunting how many days you have to stay, you know you, when I did my first course, I remember counting the days. My second course was ten days. I remember I had I had these little stones, and I put one stone for each day. Oh, only three days left. You have to build up energy. This is the sort of person you have to be. And you can. I mean, the remarkable thing is how much energy you can cultivate if you're in the present moment. To really succeed, you need to conserve energy. You don't, in fact, need to push really hard. You just have to stop tiring yourself out with all these distractions and thoughts and wants and needs and likes and dislikes and judgments and arrogance and conceit and all the many things that tire us out. And then you realize, wow, we've got... There's, now I've got a lot of energy left Now that I'm not wasting all that energy on my mind On on abstracts and concepts Past, future and so on That's really what laziness is it's Laziness is We think of laziness as lack of energy But in fact laziness is too much Too much use of energy Because desire, you know, for example, the desire to sleep takes a lot of energy The desire for it, the attachment to it When you give that up, you wow, I don't need to sleep so much More energy Number five Mindfulness well established One who is very mindful well, We know this one You can all see the difference between being mindful and being unmindful when you're mindful, you suddenly wake up, you're suddenly present, you're suddenly here. 
When you're unmindful, you get lost. You're no longer present. You're no longer here. And you realize what, what deep knowledge and wisdom and insight comes from being mindful, from being present. How much you learn about yourself and how much suffering you overcome just by being mindful. Number six, one has to be concentrated. This Dhamma is for one who is concentrated. If you're distracted, of course, you can't see clearly. And so we enter into great states of concentration, right? After some time, your mind becomes quite focused. Even when you have distracting thoughts, you're there, you're with them, you're present. I mean, this is the challenge, this is what we're cultivating. You can't ever see the truth until you become focused. Don't worry, I mean, it comes over time. You think halfway through the course, and boy, I'm really unfocused. But you're dealing with it, you're, you're, you're training in it. And eventually you become more focused and you start to see more clearly. Number seven, one has to be wise. This Dhamma is not for one who is unwise. It's not, it's not a thing that you can just do. You can't just follow my instructions. You have to be present. I mean, wisdom in many ways comes from just being mindful. But you have to be open to it. You can't just like say to yourself, pain, pain, and then wonder why it's not going away and so on. You have to be open to what you're experiencing. I mean, it's quite common to, to be discouraged when you start to see the truth. And that discouragement is a sign of lack of wisdom. It's common. I mean, this is, we all have been there. We start to complain about, I I, I'm doing what I can, but it's not going away, it's not getting better, I can't control it, it's not, you know, it's not stable, my mind is chaotic, I think I've got it all fixed, and then suddenly something comes out of nowhere. I mean, this is the, actually the truth that we're trying to see. The meditation is going to give you a big slap in the face. It's a big, it's a wake-up call. It's going... In many ways, the meditation beats you, defeats you. You don't conquer and win. We're not here to succeed. The meditation will end up defeating us, and that's the purpose. Because then you let go of yourself. You, you, you concede. You give up, and you let go. But it takes wisdom. It's not just pushing, pushing, I'm going to win, I'm going to succeed. When you practice, you start to see how, how poorly you're practicing. Meditation is much more about failing, in fact, than it is about succeeding. Because it's your failures that show you that you're wrong. Right? You're hitting your head against the wall, trying to succeed, until you realize that there's nothing to succeed at. I'm just hitting my head against the wall. This isn't the way out of suffering. And finally, the last one really has a lot to do with wisdom, and it could be seen as a sort of a wisdom, but um, non-proliferation. I mean, the Buddha includes this in here. Really, and I said it's, as I said, it's the key. It's really the key to to practice. It's the key to insight and wisdom. 
is to see things as they are, yata bhuta jnana dasana, knowledge and wisdom of things as they are, knowledge and vision of things as they are. And and the point being that when knowledge and vision of things as they are is is very limited, right? What how are things? If I ask you how are things, most people will tell me, oh, you know, my back hurts, and there's this person who I'm having conflict with, and my kid is sick, and my car is, you know, this is papancha. This isn't how things really are. How things really are is, well, seeing is seeing, hearing is hearing, smelling is smelling, tasting is tasting, feeling is thinking is thinking. It's quite simple. So when I say knowledge of things as they are, that really doesn't mean anything to us because the way we see things, as the, how things are to us, is quite complicated for the most part. Right? We're worried about ourselves, we're worried about other people, we're worried about our situation. Where our how things are, things for us, is papancha, it's complicated. Nipapancha non-proliferation or non-complication is is when we really do seeing is seeing hearing is hearing and it challenges it challenges us in so many ways because then it's even in the face of of great suffer, great pain or death or uh, you know things that would make normal people cower uh, make normal people f uh, lose their minds Loss, uh, danger. I mean, I'm a silly example. I remember it was just, it was really funny. And I've said, I've talked about this before. After I finished my course, I finished with another man. So we went together into the city, and we're sitting in the cafe, and we were just kind of sitting there and like, oh, here, wow, we'd just done twenty days of meditation, and uh, we're having a cup of coffee, I think, in the in one of the cafes. And suddenly, off to the side of us, someone drops something. I didn't. I still to this date, I you know, I don't know what it was exactly, but it was must have been a bunch of plates and a big crash. And you could sort of tell that the whole the whole restaurant went like this. And the two of us just sat there and we're like hearing, hearing. And I looked at him and we both laughed because uh, neither one of us flinched. It's a silly little example, but uh, I think it, it illustrates the you know the the sort of idea of nipa pancha, where everyone else becomes yeah, becomes uh, disturbed by by the world. And one who doesn't have papancha is no longer disturbed by the world. Nothing can hurt them, nothing can phase them, shake them. They find great peace. Ordinary people find it a little bit boring, I think, and, and uninteresting, right? We always like it when everyone else is upset. Everyone will, oh yeah, look at that. Everyone's looking at the broken dishes. Look at us all looking, and those two who aren't. What are those weirdos? They don't care. They have lack of lack of concern for the 
for the broken dishes, lack of concern for the world. It's funny, you know, we get so concerned with the state of things and we all talk and talk about how we how things are going wrong and we worry every day and we watch the news anticipating the next big disaster. We're always seeking out romance, we're seeking out companionship and seeking out money, seeking out employment. I mean, usually seeking, often seeking out beyond what is necessary, we seek out because we want possessions and so on. We get caught up in the world in many, so many different ways. Thinking we're going to get better that way. Thinking that we're going to set up a, a system of complexities that's going to be stable, satisfying, and controllable. Until we come here and see that it can never be stable, satisfying, or controllable. Because we see things as they are. We simplify things down so much that we're able to see the essence of reality. And we see that the essence is impermanent, unsatisfying, uncontrollable. And we delight in that. We stop delighting in this. Stop getting caught up in proliferation. Because we see the stress and the suffering that is, it comes with. And the delusion, really. Just the wrongness of it all around. So the Buddha taught this and Anuruddha practiced this and reflecting on these eight he became an arahant based on this teaching and he, he, he actually spoke of it later and he, he mentions it in, in, in this set of verses that he apparently spoke or wrote down no spoke I guess um, that uh, the Buddha taught him something extra and he mentioned specifically that the Buddha taught him this concept of papancha. And that's the sutta. So I think that's um, something useful for us to think about. A good dhamma for us to reflect upon. And that's the dhamma for tonight. Thank you all for coming out. Questions page is not coming up. So, no, I'm going to skip that. Thank you all for coming up. Uh, questions, if any questions are, were posted, well, I'll try to answer them tomorrow, maybe. <laughs>